episode 17 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. I had the opportunity to sit down with fellow podcaster and friend of the show, Garrett Tesla, who is the host of the Squad Room Podcast. You can check them out at thesquadroom.net. And today we're going to talk about being or becoming the one for your agency. It's Garrett's message that I'm excited that he gets a chance to share on our show, so let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals, where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Hello and welcome back to the show. We are at episode 17 of the podcast. That's crazy. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Thank you for being here and I hope you're getting something actionable from the content we're putting out. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, at the Tactical Breakdown. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Uh, It really helps us and it's going to help us grow this thing up as big as we possibly can. Today, I'm excited because I have a fellow podcaster on the show, and that's Garrett Tesla. Now, Garrett is the host of the Squad Room Podcast. He is a 15-year law enforcement veteran and a sergeant of a Southern California police agency. One of the things that you may not know about Garrett is that he has his master's in public administration, majoring in organizational leadership. So today, we're going to talk about his philosophy on becoming or being the one for your agency and what that means in terms of leadership. So if you're listening to this and you're in a leadership role within your agency or organization, this is going to be the show for you. Here we go. Cool. All right, Garrett, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate you jumping on and uh, and coming on to our show. The Squad Room is a fantastic podcast that I listen to on the daily. So thank you so much for putting that out there. For everybody here who doesn't know who you are, can you give us the quick background about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, first of all, Adam, thank you very much for having me on. I'm excited to be here, uh, and I love what you're doing with with your show and the, and the purpose you've developed there. Uh, so my name is Garrett Tesla. I'm a sergeant for a sheriff's office in Southern California. Uh, I always uh, avoid saying the actual name just to keep everything clean, you know, with, uh, with social media <laughs> policies and whatnot. But uh, I work down in Southern California for an agency. Uh, and, uh, like I said, I'm a sergeant. I've been a sergeant for about seven years now. We're not a large agency, so we all wear a lot of ha- different, uh, hats. Uh, and I've gotten to do a lot of different stuff, uh, in the last, uh, almost 15 years now. That's awesome, man. Well, first off, if I don't get to it later in case I forget, thank you so much for your service and, and what you do for your community. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I wanted to talk about is when I listen to your show and a lot of, what you like getting into is talking about leadership in law enforcement and officer wellness and mindfulness and and those types of things, mental health. Um, and that's been a major focus for mine as well, uh, for me as well, when we do our show. Um, I've had a lot of guests on already that we talk about mental health and, you know, PTSD and things like that. So what are your, like, when you put your show together, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how big of a focus is that for you? It's the entire focus of the show, you know. Um I started the squadron back in 2015 because I was struggling and 
I was struggling with those things that happened to an officer after about 10 years on the job. And sometimes it's for some guys, it's after five years, some guys it's after 15, but almost inevitably, some of those things start to creep into your life that if you don't address them, they become uh, almost insurmountable. And uh, it's a process to be completely honest that five years or four years later, I'm still dealing with and struggling with or trying to navigate through. But I was out looking for ways to lose weight, to sleep better, to manage uh, the stress of shift work and the, and the stress of patrol and the dynamics there and how to uh, I, I, I was uh, just promoted to sergeant and how to be a a better leader to the people that I was responsible for and responsible to. And so I had a lot, a lot of questions and I had more questions than answers. And I went out looking and reading and I, and, and, and sort of developed this realization that as I learned something and I brought it back to my, my squads, you know, my team, uh, and I would hold briefing topics on things like sleep maintenance and, um, cardiovascular disease. And I had the weirdest briefing trainings of anyone in the department because normally we talk about tactics and uh, things that happened the shift before or people that had warrants. And I'm out there talking about how you need to get better sleep. But as I was going through those things and learning some of this, guys kept guys and girls kept coming up to me and saying, hey, I have I was wondering or I've been struggling with that myself. I've been struggling with my sleep or my diet or what kind of exercise I should be doing. Um, and I realized that I wasn't alone and that my my partners were struggling with the same things. And then it really kind of inspired me to, to realize that, well, if we're struggling with these same things here in, 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 in Southern California, I know other cops are struggling with them as well. And so the, the squadron became my way of having an excuse to talk to subject matter experts on those topics and giving them a platform so that I could basically steal their information from them, right? Steal their knowledge, steal an hour of their time to pick their brain and then share it with people who I care so deeply about, which is, of course, my partners in law enforcement and the other first responder professions. So that was the, the calling of, of starting that show. And, um, without a doubt across the board, whether it's a, a listener in, the, on the East Coast or in New Zealand or in Europe, we all struggle with these same things and we all need to know how to navigate uh, through them. You know, it's funny you say that, you know, that it's, it's worldwide. It's not mm -hmm. just for, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, when it's, something's happening to you, it's happening to you and you're the only person. And it takes that, you know, that, I don't know if it's a moment of clarity, but everybody or hopefully some everybody gets that where it's like, you know what, I'm not alone in this anymore, you know, or I have, I've never been alone. And, and when they start to realize that and start to realize that it's, you know, there's officers that are in your agency, in your community, whether it's in your city or your state or your country, there's people all around the world that are going through the exact same thing that you are. Mm -hmm. And there's resources out there now more so than ever yeah. to help people. And, and these, these podcasts, I mean, as, we're, we're that one little thing, that one little sliver of information, but we, there's a whole world of, of information now that, that's starting to flood in because people are starting to realize that these are, these are real world issues and that officer suicides and mental health has become a major, major talking point in society now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you, 
Go ahead. No, I, was just, I, was, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think you're probably getting to the same point I was about to interrupt you with was, was that, uh, in, in all those areas too, that idea of being alone is, is really prevalent when it comes to emotional trauma, you know, whether you call it PTS or, uh, emotional survival and developing that emotional intelligence to get through it. We, we so often we think we're, we're alone and that if we, are struggling or we're going to treatment or we're going to a therapist that none of our partners are doing the same thing. And that if we were to admit that we have trauma, that we would be uh, outcast. And without a doubt, the thing that has been inspiring the most about the, my show is hearing from guys who are realizing that they're not alone and that as a result, they've been empowered to go out and try and get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. I I think that's probably the biggest thing for me as well is, you know, I put I when I put the show together and I put it out there and even though we're just new and and getting started here, it's even getting the feedback, getting emails, messages on social media being like, hey, man, really appreciate what you're doing. You know, it's you know, I listened to this episode with so and so and it really made me think about things differently. Mm -hmm. I could be doing this for another 10, 15, 20 years. And if it helps one person, then to me, it's worth it. Cause I, I personally like, I just enjoy, I don't know if it's selfish for me, but I just enjoy being able to get on the phone or sit down with somebody who I admire, I respect, or I'm interested in speaking with. And like you said, just picking their brain for an hour. It's, it's, it's one of those really cool things that we have the opportunity to do. It's, it's, it's an absolute privilege to have the show at this point. Yeah. And you'll, you'll find that as you go and you already have, but you know, you you have the ability to get to people who know things you'll never know if you don't talk to them. And to have an hour of time with someone like, you know, for example, for me, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman or um, Andy Stumpf or uh, the guy I just had on, uh, a guy who was a POW in Vietnam for five and a half years, Charlie Plum. Um, those are unique experiences that have expanded my own, you know, my own life and my own life skills and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. It's, it's a gift to be able to do it. Speaking of people that I was inspired to speak with, obviously you're one of them. And that's why I have you on the show. You have this awesome message in your podcast and on your platform that you talk about being the one. Mm. Can you share with our listeners what, what that is and, and, and why it's so important? It's a, it's a quote or it's part of a quote, uh, and it, but it's a call to action. And I got to give full credit to my friend, Greg Amundsen. Uh, who was the first one to, to share it with me. But it comes from philosopher Heraclitus. And he's talking about uh, the army. And, and uh, you know, obviously this is back in his day. <laughs> uh, but he's describing this, the, the, the kind of person that makes up the army. And this is the Greek army at the time. And uh, he says, out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a true warrior, and he will be the one to bring the others back. And I just love that quote. And I think it exemplifies the, the, the position that law enforcement or the first responders have within our communities. You know, we are the one out of 100. It literally is about a 1% chance of someone who applies to become a, a law enforcement officer, at least in California, about 1% chance of actually getting through the entire process and getting into a black and white patrol car and actually being a cop. 
So even the math checks out on, on that quote from hundreds of years ago that, you know, so it's a call to action for every officer to be the one to, to bring the others back. And what I mean by bringing the others back is just to lead by example and to always consider yourself as the person who has an obligation based on your oath to, to lead like that. And uh, I think it applies also within our own agencies. You know, anyone who's been a cop for more than a couple of days can pick out the 10 people at their agency that shouldn't even be there. Right. And then the 80 that are just kind of going along, waiting for retirement. And then the nine who are the top tier, good, hardworking officers. But more than that, my goal is to make every listener be the one within their agency who steps up and who leads and who has the knowledge, skills and abilities to go out and change the culture of their own agency. Where do you think that starting point is? If, if you had to, maybe it's brought just one point, maybe there's a couple, but where do you think if, if there's, you know, officers, uh, people, they could be new recruits, they could be, you know, junior officers, or they could be, you know, senior NCOs or any, anywhere in between. If, if they're looking to become that one person that you speak to, where is that starting point? What do you think? It's the, the, the first, the starting point is the hardest point. It's the absolute hardest point of this. And it's the one that we have to anticipate that we go back to several times because we're not going to get it right all the time, but it starts with ourselves. It starts with taking ownership and leadership of yourself first and identifying what your, what I call are the badges, but what are your, it's an acronym, uh, but what are your beliefs, actions, discipline, goals, your emotions, in, in, in terms of how are you going to deal with your emotions and the service? What's your legacy and what's your purpose for being there? And going through those things and making sure that your beliefs and actions are in alignment and that you're instilling in yourself the discipline to make sure that they're in alignment, but also that you have goals and a path forward so that you know where you're going, you know where you're coming from and you know where you're going. And then your emotions, like I said, how do you deal with them? How are you going to deal with the things that have happened in the past and develop a plan of action for the future? And then your legacy, your service. And to me, and this is what I talk about on my show with badges, is that is a, a framework I use for myself uh, that I develop. But it's a framework for myself to evaluate my own self-awareness. And if those things are all in alignment, I am firing all cylinders and I can start to go out and move into leading other people. When those things are out of alignment... Uh, even just a little bit, I notice that I start to fall back and I step back and I, I don't take the opportunities to be the one. And so, so it's a kind of a constant reminder that we always have to work on ourselves first before we can work on other people. But we get through that first step. We, we got to develop self-awareness and then a plan of action to make sure our beliefs and, and actions are in alignment. And then we go out with our goal and we think, okay, what kind of impact do I want to make on my agency? Do I want to be do I want to be the best patrol sergeant out there? Do I want to be the best line officer? Do I want to be the best narc cop? And by best, there's different versions of best too. So best doesn't always mean statistics only. It could mean I want to be the best teacher, the best um, uh, support system, the best, uh, you know, um, it could be a myriad of different things, but we have to have an understanding of where we're going. I think that's a great point is that realizing that, you know, how we say like, well, be the one out of a hundred. You're not, 
you have to understand that that's that presents itself in many different facets so you know there's going to be that one guy that's on the special response team so SWAT or ERT or whatever it is and if that's not you then that's okay maybe you're you want to be the best dispatcher in your agency like that's that's where you want to get to and it's it's setting those realistic goals for yourself so that you have the, there is the opportunity for you to reach them is that something that you guys try to or you try to bring out in people is that realizing that you're not there's it's not one size fits all anymore oh absolutely absolutely and and an important point in that too is that my goal is to create agencies of the one where you have in a thousand officers you have a thousand people all being the one in their own way yeah i love that we can lead others by being led as well and there's no there's no shame or hardship in uh, in, in surrounding yourself by other leaders. So this idea that you have to, that you're the one and only, that's not the way I mean that by being the one, you be the one for yourself and then you can go out and, and, and rise to the occasions that need to be happening. The, the, the most amazing thing about this career, there's a lot of amazing things, but one of the most amazing things is that you just touched on it. We need cops who are hardcore SWAT operators and who know tactics and are aggressive and can do that job and the pendulum swings all the way over to the other side where we need school resource officers who can connect with troubled juveniles and who can be creative in their problem solving and we need every kind of cop in between and oftentimes the job requires both sides of that spectrum to be within one person you know small agencies especially you got to be both of those and so it requires different skills. We're not all going to be great SWAT cops. We're not all going to be great SROs. I'd make a horrible SRO. I don't have the patience to deal with like <laughs> troubled 12, 13, 14-year-old kids, right? But I know that about myself. So that is not, though I try to work on that and I try to work on my patience and those sorts of things with it, I am not, I am not called to that part of the service. But someone else is and they're great at it. And it's, it's an amazing job when you consider the spectrum that we're, that is required of us. I wanted to ask you when we first started talking, because you're over, what episode are you guys on now? You're over a hundred, right? hundred and. Yeah. I think as of, as we talk right now, I've released 108 episodes. That's awesome. And you've been, cause you've been doing this since 2015. What has there been a guest or guests that you've had on your show that were, it was kind of almost so profound speaking to them and their message was so so important that you've kind of come back to it over and over and over again? Yeah, a lot. You know, in, in 108 episodes, um, that's a lot of hours of record. That's roughly 108 hours of conversations with people. And and then the follow-up conversations that I've had as, as a result, there's a lot, man. And and not to, to pitch the most recent show, but really episode 107, which is, I just mentioned him earlier, Charlie Plum. He was captain in the U.S. Navy. He was a F-4 Phantom pilot. And on his 74th mission, 75th mission over Vietnam, five days before he's set to go home, he gets shot down and he's housed at the Hanoi Hilton POW camp where he shares cells with people like John McCain and, uh, and, uh, Admiral Stockdale. Uh, and, and he does five and a half years in this eight by eight little cell, you know, and he's tortured daily. And, um, the, what was amazing about him is that his resilience how he left that with a strong sense of, of self and purpose and how it really didn't, he, he's thankful for the, he's thankful for the opportunity as weird as that sounds. 
and he has a he has a saying adversity is a terrible thing to waste and you know now it's 50 years later uh, and i was just so struck by him and and his the power of his personality really amazing um other guys another one that i, I came back to another navy guy um i don't have a whole lot of military guys but this uh clint bruce he's a lieutenant in the seal teams and his style of leadership and his just his his beliefs there i, I listen to that episode every so often when i feel like i need a reset um, mm-hmm. there, and then, you know, I have a lot of episodes with a friend of mine, uh, Traver Bohm, who's for lack of a better term, a life coach, but we kind of started the show together and then he went through some horrible, horrible things in his personal life and, and had to go off and find himself for lack of a better, another better term. Um, and, but he is such a profound person to me too. And I'm lucky to call him a friend and he's been on like, I don't know, probably 12 to 15 episodes. Um, so those conversations are always impactful for me. Um, yeah, but there's, there's lots of guests, lots of guests and, and guests who've always really, you know, even if it's just a, a nugget of something that's really, there's a lot that sticks with me though. Yeah. It's interesting when I listen to your podcast and things like that, it always seems like as, as you know, somebody, a guest will come on and they'll be telling a story. And usually it's one of those like, Oh shit. Like this is, this is real. Like this, this guy went through some shit. Mm-hmm. And there's always a positive outlook at the end of it. There's always something positive that comes from it. What do you think is the first step in, in turning something positive when something bad happens? Mm, man, that's a that's a great question and one that has filled shelves and shelves of bookstores in the self development section. You know, um, the first thing we do, and, and this is what I try to to teach myself and teach my kids is. We, we have to be ready before it happens by having the mindset of just like Charlie said to me, adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And the best thing we can do is to have a strong sense of understanding what we can and cannot control. And if we cannot control something, then it really becomes a waste of time to worry about it. And if we can control something, then we have two options. And this is something that I struggle with on the daily is, okay, I can control what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm experiencing, what my reaction is to this negative input, right? I can control it or do I ignore it? And of course, if I ignore it, it gets worse and worse. Uh, But if I can control it and do something about it, then I've taken ownership of it and I've I've made the steps I've done. I, I, I have changed the outcome as best I can. But learning to get rid of the idea that we have to control everything because that's impossible. I think that's that's key. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think too. One of the you know, I've I've spoken to a lot of people, and even in my own personal life, when when I'm going through things like I like we are right now, we have a lot of stuff going on with family members. Mm-hmm. Something that people keep bringing up with me is just resiliency, in the fact that. You don't realize it at the time when it's happening, when all these bad things are happening to you throughout your life, that you're actually building up a resiliency and and a capability of dealing with these situations every time they come up. And it Mm -hmm. was kind of profound to me when I I sat down with a gentleman this morning and we just went for coffee and met up and he has a, he has a podcast called cut the crap. He, he sat there and he, he, I had this like epiphany moment with him just today. And he was like, 
you don't realize you've built up this resilience through your career, through, you know, through all these incidents, when you deal with traumatic events and all these experiences and, you know, when you're in the, in the forces and all that stuff that's ingrained into you and then dealing with those hard situations and those hard times, it's prepared you for what's coming up next. It's preparing you for what's coming up right now and what's coming up down the road. And mm-hmm. I think that's from everybody that I've spoken to on my podcast so far, that seems to be that overriding thing. It's, you're better for your experiences and it's, it's almost always like that. I don't know what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's often a misunderstanding that when something happens to us, we talk in a way and I'm big on what on talk, self-talk, what what we say, our words are our thoughts and those things become our beliefs. Right. And, um, I'm, I, I don't like this idea that when we experience something, we, we, we consider this idea of bouncing back. Or getting back to normal, and we need to we need to dismiss that as incorrect because you're not going to be the same. You have now you just like you said you ha- you now have a new experience that you've incorporated into your life. It is added to your uh, to your bank of memories and recollections on how to manage or how to not manage something that has occurred in the past, right? And you've learned from it. So the idea is to come back stronger and better. And it sounds like a cliche, but it really is true. You know, there's, there's a saying, and I forget who said it, but there's a saying like, no man crosses the same stream twice. And the, and the meaning, the purpose, you know, the idea behind that is when you cross a stream, the water passes, the pebbles pass, the sand passes. And when you cross it again, it's a different, there, it might be minuscule, but the, there are changes that have been made. And I think that's the, the way with our lives on a day-to-day basis even. And yeah, we, you incorporate what you've learned. And if you, if you aren't incorporating what you've learned, you're just making the same mistake over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, I'm excited when I get a chance to speak with people and even going into things like, you know, going and speaking with somebody like a professional about your, like, you know, maybe you're having a really rough week and, and you're just like, okay, I just need somebody to vent to. Those are things that I think everybody needs to realize that it's, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not as taboo as it used to be. You know, it's not, it's, Everybody always, oh, I don't want to go speak to the shrink, you know, as a whole in this profession, I think people are starting to realize that it's not as bad as you think everybody used to think it was. It's a good thing now. And people are getting the chance to, to utilize these skills that were blocked off to them before, whether it be um, a personal mindset or, uh, you know, a social construct of, of the way that law enforcement and military and first response was built up where everyone's like, you're the top, you're supposed to be the tough guy, just suck it up and, and move on. It's not like that anymore. And there's so many more doors open now. And I think people are starting to realize there's ways to to take all this bad shit and turn it into a positive for yourself. So anyways, I wanted to I wanted to ask your thoughts on that because I know that that's something that you focus on a lot with your show. And thank you for, yeah. for sharing that with us as well. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. I think it's getting better. We haven't turned the tide all the way yet. We still have a lot of work to do with with reducing that stigma. Um, it's better in some places than others. Canada is actually very progressive in how they're treating their officers uh, in general and the efforts that they're making for wellness programs. Uh, you know, in California, we're pretty good. Um, some agencies are a lot better than most. Others are still pretty. You know, twenty they're they're behind by twenty years. I, I worry and I, I fret about my partners in southern agencies in the southern states, uh, and I can't speak to Europe and, and Australia. Australia is pretty good, actually. I know for a fact Australia is really good. We have, 
a guest and friend, Sean Gorman down there, who's doing a lot of, he's an ex cop and doing a lot of wellness stuff down there. But I worry about some States and, and then that stigma still, 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 um, progressing. And yeah, we talk about a lot on my show. Uh, and it is, it is moving better. Richard Gerling, uh, who is a Lieutenant in Oregon. He has a, uh, he's retired, just retired to go do this full time and teach mindfulness and resilience training to law enforcement. And he's, he retired because he's now his schedule's booked. He, he, he can do this full time. And it's amazing that there's a demand out there for someone like him to go do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an amazing person. The, the challenge I got, I, I got an email just yesterday from a listener who said that it was uh, me talking about it and talking about my own, me navigating my own uh, steps towards counseling and therapy that got him with the encouragement of his wife, got him to finally accept the idea of needing to go to treatment. And that's amazing. You know? Uh, so if it means that I stick my neck out there and talk about my own experience, then I'll do it. If it means that it gets someone into treatment or uh, into counseling. And I, yeah, we need to get rid of this idea that you're broken. Uh, this job is, is demanding and challenging. And whether you're a small town cop or a major city cop, we all experience the same things, maybe just in different frequencies, but we all deal with the gnarly things that stick with you. And if you don't think they're sticking with you, you're wrong. Now, I don't mean that you're not dealing with it, but we carry those things just like we were talking about a minute ago. We carry those experiences with us. And if you don't have a proper way of off-gassing that experience and, and processing it, it will come back to get you. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that I'm not worried about the cop that goes to therapy. I'm worried about the cop that won't go to therapy. Uh, that, that to me is, is the paradigm shift that needs to happen. I should have prefaced my, my previous comment there, um, about things getting better. My experience, obviously, because I am up here in Canada. So that has been over the last couple of years, that has been the experience up here that I've noticed. Uh, but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Things are, things are different everywhere in the world. So I can't speak to the way it is in the U S and depends if you're North, South, East, West. Um, I can't speak to that. So thank you for clarifying that. Well, it's just interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting because there's, there's such a change, you know, from West to East coast in, in any, and everything around policing, like just different tactics are used. This, the agencies are set up differently. There's different, uh, you know, methods to think. So some of it makes sense. Uh, but, uh, and I'm not trying to slight Southern, uh, Southern agencies at all. I just know that, um, in terms of everything else around policing and I'm coming out of California. right. So there's already a lot of haters on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I just, I just know because I talk to people in the South whose agencies struggle to accept this. And a lot of it's geopolitical, right? I mean, yep. I don't know the, the U S landscape as well as I know Canadian landscape, but I know like where you are in California is a lot more left wing. And then, as you get down south, it goes farther and farther right. So, and those political divides seem to dictate a lot of mindset and how people view these these types of situations. Um, and and I'm not a. This isn't a political podcast. I don't I don't yeah. get get into that, or you don't need to share your thoughts on that. But that was it was something interesting for me for sure. And, and when and now having the chance to speak with people that are all around the world. You, you do get these different viewpoints and they say like, you know, it's, you know what you're, that may be the way it is where you are, but where, where I am, it's completely different. And here's why. And I think that's fascinating because with the platforms that, that you and I have with these podcasts, 
I'm in, in central Canada and you're in California, right on the West coast of the United States. And we're people can be listening all around the world and get, mm-hmm. getting all these different inputs from all these different people. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's been a, it's so cool to get an email from someone again, like New Zealand or uh, England or Canada um, and see how similar the job is and how similar the struggles are, regardless of what uniform we wear or the accent we have or any the, the, the challenge is always there. With, I want to get your thoughts on something because I know you and I both, both focus a lot on leadership. Do you think there is a responsibility for leaders now, us being on media and and being out there for everyone, Mm -hmm. but also for leaders in agencies, whether it be FTOs or sergeants or officers, like senior officers, do you think there's a responsibility for them to share their, their, their thoughts, their feelings and their stories to, to start Mm. bridging the gap on this mental health issue? Wow. That's a, that's a good question, man. That's, that's, and that's a big question. Um, I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's an obligation. Uh, I feel like it's my obligation. Uh, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, I can't, I don't know if I'd be comfortable putting that on someone else just by the sake of their, their rank or their position. I would say though that leadership entails doing the kinds of things that 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 create an environment where your people can be successful, right? Uh, and the the advice I got when I got promoted, that like almost everyone gets, is just take care of your people. Like, well, what does that mean? You know, does it mean uh, cover for them, let them do a, a crappy job so that they don't get in trouble? Like, no, that that's not that, that that's not what it means, and um, doesn't mean to micromanage them either. It means to to create an environment where they can be successful. And I think that some of the ways we do that is, is obviously we already do through sharing our training and experience. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing unusual about an officer sharing how to do a, a, a search of a vehicle, right. Or, or how to do a, a domestic violence interview. None of those things are unique, but we need to be, we need to be willing to share our stories of, of our challenges too. And again, it goes to helping, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, it goes to helping your partners realize that they're not alone, that they're experiencing something that has been experienced before. So I would love to say that it's an obligation, but it is challenging. We all have to get there on our own, you know, we, mm-hmm. because, because it requires a lot of emotional strength. It really does. You know, mm-hmm. to, I hemmed and hawed about talking about therapy for a long time, even though I had had a dozen episodes on it and uh, with different police psychologists. Uh, I always kept myself out of it. And so even for me, it was, it was a struggle to get there. Um, so it's, that's, that's a challenge. It really is. And I know I didn't really answer your question there. (laughs) It's all good. I mean, cause I wanted to, to find a way to cycle into this because there's, well, there's a book that I always think of when I think about leadership and it's extreme ownership Mm -hmm. by Jocko. And I know, I know you've probably read it. Um, Because one of the things that you and I think I think we both have in common is we both enjoy uh, reading and learning and and being like lifelong learners. Absolutely. Um, 
want to get into that too. Um, but that was, it was kind of one of those things. Cause I remember listening to a TEDx that, that Jocko did and talking about that book and the extreme ownership of, of being a leader. And I remember going through our officer training with Canadian forces, how that was, it was always almost like there's going to be stuff that comes up where you're not going to like what you have to do, but it's, it's your job to do it because you have a responsibility to the men and women under your command. Mm -hmm. I see this as, as kind of the, the 2019 version of that, because for, for example, for us in the Canadian forces, I mean, we're not at war, Mm -hmm. let's say. So there's, there's this, there's always in those down times, there's always, okay, where do we put our focus now? And mental health is the new buzzword. It's the new thing. It's the, it's what everybody is focusing on and it's uncomfortable and it sucks. And it's, it's one of those things that people, even if you're comfortable talking about it, you're not comfortable talking about it because you have to let, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? You have to let people in to, you, you have to be vulnerable and it goes, it, it flies right in the face of everything that we've told our soldiers and our officers and our first responders to this date where we're saying, listen, you're, you have to be tough as nails. This is your job. You're, you're supposed to be a hard charger. Oh, now we're done. Now we want you to let everybody in and be emotional and be vulnerable. And it's, it's the exact opposite. And it's a super difficult thing to navigate. And it's just, it's something that I don't like, I obviously don't have the answer to it. That's why I always ask everybody every time I get a chance, because I'm like, maybe there's somebody has that, that, that spark of wisdom that can help everybody out, but it's such a difficult topic to always talk about. So no, I understand that you can't, uh, you don't have an answer and that's fine. Cause I don't either. It just, I always want to see where, where people stand on that issue. It's going to, but it's, it's, it's going to take people talking about it. And then really, it's really, really going to take, uh, our, our leaders, our, our chiefs and our sheriffs and our commissioners, those kinds of people to disseminate out the priority of it because, uh, if it's not a priority to our command staff, it's it's just not a priority, and they need officers need to know that they're supported, that you know they're not going to get their badge and gun taken just by going to a, a counselor, and uh, they need to they need to feel confident in their agency that you know, they're going to back them up, and that's that is seems to be one of the biggest challenges. You know, it's convincing the individual officer that they need treatment is not that hard. I think you know. People are open to it more and more and they're willing to recognize, okay, I'm not sleeping. I'm drinking a lot. I'm, you know, struggling with these ideas. I'm having recurring thoughts. What's, what's wrong? So on an individual officer, I think they're, it's easy to convince them. But oftentimes when you look at it department wide, it takes uh, a tragedy, a suicide or, or an on duty uh, death, that sort of thing to shake them out of the complacency of it. Cause it's much easier for command staff to, pretend the problem doesn't exist than to actually address it and address it in a way that's holistic and authentic. I want to, I do want to get back into um, real quick is I, I talked a little bit about books and reading and leadership. If you had a, if I, I'm sure you have a list somewhere um, of kind of your top 10, top five books. If if there were some books right now that you would recommend to, to our listeners, what would they be and why? Hmm. Uh, well, you just mentioned one extreme ownership. I think that obviously that book obviously hit the scene pretty hard. I read it, uh, when it first came out and after hearing him on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And, uh, so, so that's a great one. Um, another book on the same topics we've just been talking about, uh, actually an old, uh, teammate of Jocko's, but it's called resilience. 
by Eric Greitens, um, and his other book, The Heart and the Fist. Those two books by Eric, two books by Eric Greitens are just fantastic. And Resilience is, is talks about exactly that. Uh, but The Heart and the Fist was a really influential book for me early in my career about his story. And his story is incredible. I mean, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He was a, a humanitarian and he was out, you know, in like Africa working in refugee camps and then realized there was nobody there to defend them, the, the refugees. And so he went off and joined the Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, uh, those two books are, are very great. The Heart and the Fist and Resilience. Um, you know, I, I'm, I get a little out there sometimes. And I mean, I, I have a serious Amazon addiction um, and I'm looking at a bunch of books right now. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, another book, uh, Being Mortal by Atal Gawande really is it's it's about death and dying which is uh he's a he's a doctor and it's a really fascinating look though at the process of death and we deal with it so much in our job that it's really been enlightening to me to see it um and in all the ways that we manage it and deal with it and uh, as a society i don't mean just in law enforcement mm-hmm. um you know in ter- then there's I, I do i do i read a lot of like pema chodron who's a, a buddhist monk um and find her stuff fascinating and a book that I would recommend anybody get a couple books, uh, anything by Ryan holiday. Uh, uh, stoicism has been, uh, I'd say a guiding light for me over the last five years. And, uh, I'm still, uh, an amateur when it comes to trying to implement stoicism in my life. But, uh, anything by Ryan holiday, such as ego is the enemy or the obstacle is the way, or a book that I read daily called the daily stoic. Uh, those are all really impactful uh, books, and they're amazing. And then from that, I would also read, encourage people to read uh, the book Meditations, uh, and that's by Marcus Aurelius. So that book's hundreds of years old. He was a Roman emperor, and it's his personal diary, uh, and it's written in a way of a diary, written to himself, reminders to himself, but it's really a, a powerful read. I'm so happy that you brought those books up. I think the most important thing for leaders, for instructors and educators and, and trainers to, to start realizing is that reading stuff that's outside of your wheelhouse is kind of where those doors start opening for you. Um, I've always Mm. been that way. It it always takes, you know, somebody will reference something that's completely obscure and you dive into it and you're like, Holy crap. I mean, sure. Maybe 90% of this isn't applicable, but that 10% that, there was like a light bulb moment and you're like, I can apply this in what I'm doing, even though it has nothing to do with, with my profession right now, I can find a way to, to work that into, to my life and to, to what I do and how I live. You know, one of the biggest impacts on my career, and it was even something I ended up using in a Ted talk was something I read by Pema Chodron, who I said is that Buddhist monk, right? And you wouldn't think that anything about Buddhism relates to being in law enforcement, but I learned through her writings of a practice called loving kindness and it's, it sounds as Buddhist and hippie as it is, but it really was something that I read about. And then weeks later was in a situation where I thought, Oh, this, this has actually changed my entire perspective of how I deal with people on the street. Um, and basically having compassion at the forefront of your mind while you're dealing with people and understanding that everyone is struggling, you know, uh, so yeah, if you're just reading, you know, 
SEAL Team 6 books and stuff like that, they're cool. I like to read them too, but you're not pushing your limits. Push your limits and, and read something that's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm a nonfiction guy. I don't think there's any book that I've uh, I've written or read, sorry, that's a, a fiction-based book. It at least has to have some part of truth to it. Actually, there was uh, is interesting. I, I know you've also had him on, I guess, as your show, uh, Mr. Jay Dobbins, mm-hmm. uh, wrote a book called No Angel, yeah. um, Operation Black Biscuit and their infiltration, ATF's infiltration of the Hell's Angels. Amazing, uh, I, right? Yeah. It, well, here's the thing I told him. I said, there's been very few books in my life that I've found to be the perfect mix between entertainment and fact and truth. And I think that's one of them. I mean, it's obviously there's there's stuff that there's liberties taken for the sake of of putting the book together, but it's for the most part that's that stuff actually happened. You know, mm-hmm. and it allows you to invest yourself in the story that much more and to to pull more information and knowledge out of it because it was put together the way it was. So um, that's that's another book that uh, I really love uh, for for anybody who wants who doesn't want to sit down and you know read. Um, things that are on philosophy and stuff like that. That's more of an entertaining type book, but Jay's, um, yeah, Jay's book is great. I'm the same way. I don't, I don't read fiction. Uh, there's too much interesting stuff happening in the real world to me. Uh, Jay's book is great. And then under and alone by Billy queen. That's another one where they infiltrate the Mongols. And that's an amazing book too. So I like those too. I read those too. And, you know, and I, 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 it blows my mind that a guy like Jay did what he did, you know, <laughs> right. That's what I said. Yeah. You're a little, you're a little left to center there, big guy. Like yeah. He's uh he's a very interesting dude. Yeah. Um before I let you go, Garrett, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners? Um something that maybe you share with your listeners uh on the daily tips, tricks, or anything like that for, for them that's actionable that they can take with them when they're on the job? You know, the the thing that I'm trying to work on right now is developing a morning routine. And I'm lucky now that I'm in a, a, a desk assignment. Uh, because it's normalized so much of the job that is so uh, uh, abnormal. So it's tough when you're working rotating shifts and your sleep schedule is all thrown off. But developing some sort of consistency in your in your daily habits, I think, is is key. And it is something I have failed at <laughs> for years, but I'm working towards. And it usually, I think, needs to involve some sort of self-reflection, whether that's journaling, or meditation, or just sitting with a cup of coffee and trying to uh, do a checklist on yourself and see where you're at, uh, and then you know, ready, getting ready to to plan the day. For me, planning is a big part of my success. If I plan my day, if I know what my goals are for the day, uh, and I give myself, and I don't overload myself, I give myself like three goals that I try to hit, uh, and then an evaluation of what I'm grateful for, and uh, at the end of the day kind of reviewing the goals that I meet them, what were my challenges, uh, and then at the end of the day, what am I grateful for? Those those gratitude practices are, are, are really important and becoming more and more important to me every day. Um, obviously, I think physical fitness is a, is a key thing, and that's where I struggle the most. And I think the, the, the thing, if I leave your, officer, your your listeners with one idea, it's that wherever you are in your in your own journey, whether you're, 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 there's a very good chance you're not where you want to be, right? Very few of us are where we want to be. And that's okay. It's okay to not be where you want to be. The challenge becomes for us is what we're going to do about it. And so if we can just be one day stronger in, in some way, 
you know, 1% better uh, in some way, in an actionable way, then we're making progress. And be grateful for the progress. Be grateful for being able to do it. And try to put yourself into situations where every day you're 1% better and eventually we will attain the goals that we're trying to achieve. I love that. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. I think that's a fantastic message. If somebody is listening to this and they want to hear more from you and hear more about your guests and all that kind of stuff, where can they, where can they find the podcast? Where can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for the opportunity. So the, the podcast is called the squad room. Um, you know, some, some countries or agencies call it the briefing room or the training room. Uh, for us, it's called the squad room. It's where people get together and before shift and at the end of shift to share ideas and tips and tactics and briefings. So that's why the name is the squad room. It's my place to share ideas. Uh, you, you, they can go to the squad room.net, uh, and, and check out old episodes. We're on every, uh, podcast platform out there so they can search their podcast player and they should be able to find us. Uh, they can email me, uh, Garrett, two R's, two T's at the squad room.net. If they want to check, uh, you know, shoot, shoot me an email. Uh, socials is at the squad room for both Instagram and Twitter. We have a Facebook group they can join. Just search the squad room group in Facebook. And if they really want to hear me talk, uh, you can go to YouTube and search my name and TEDx talk, uh, Garrett Tesla, T E S L A A TEDx talk. And they'll see a TED talk I did last year on, um, on the importance of working with, uh, civilian responders to natural disasters and, and emergencies. Garrett, thank you so much, man, for taking the time and joining us on our show. I wish you all the best and uh, best of luck with your show. So hopefully we get to connect again soon. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, man. I had, had a lot of fun talking with you today. So thank you. And, and you're doing great work. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Tactical Breakdown. To learn more about Garrett and the Squad Room Podcast, you can visit thebreakdown.ca forward slash 017 or thesquadroom.net. Coming up before Christmas, I have three more episodes for you. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Go to thebreakdown.ca forward slash subscribe. You can get us on your favorite podcast player. Doesn't matter if you're an Apple, Android, if you like Spotify, iHeart, whatever. We're available wherever you uh, like to listen to podcasts. So make sure to do that. Rate and review the show. And we'll see you next time on the Tactical Breakdown. Stay safe.